my privilege to be with you here today uh, to share um, the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and we've been in a, a great series on the stewardship of life. And we've been learning some great principles in this series on how to steward our minds and steward our bodies and steward our freedoms that we have in Christ. And we've also been learning about, we learned last week how to steward our finances. And the idea of being a steward has to do with being a good manager, a, a good, um, someone who is managing well the resources that have been entrusted to us. And today we're going to be learning about how we steward truth, specifically the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is great responsibility that accompanies being a steward of the truth. I think it's kind of similar to the responsibilities of stewarding a garden. Now, I don't have very much personal experience with stewarding gardens. Uh, if you were on vacation, if you have a thriving garden, you probably would not want me to take care of it for you for a week while you're gone. Your garden may come back, may, look, may not look quite like it was when you left. But I do enjoy gardens. Uh, I, I really appreciate the beauty and just the peace that they give us. Um, and one of my favorite places to visit, especially in more recent times, has been Longwood Gardens. And these are actually a couple of uh, pictures that I took when we were there on a couple of our, uh, our last visit. Uh, and Longwood Gardens, one of the things that has always impressed me about it is just how elaborate it is. How much effort goes in to keeping it up in such a beautiful way. Uh, the picture on the left is a picture of the famous Italian water garden. Uh, and they have just these beautiful fountain displays. Uh, some of them, if you look in their main fountain garden, they are choreographed with music, and they have these neat concerts and shows you can watch. Um, and then there's all these beautiful plants and, uh, in the conservatories and in the outer gardens. And then they also have what's on the right there is actually an artist's display. Those are lights. They look kind of like flowers, kind of, but they're actually lights. Um, and they're just really unique, especially in the dark, uh, to see. And that was on display there for uh, several months. Now, Longwood Gardens has over one and a half million visitors that take a stroll through its gardens each year. And there are, so I thought this was kind of surprising, I was, I was reading, there are only about a little over 70 people that actually do the stewarding and the upkeep of the gardens, while there are still, uh, there are other hundreds of other people that work there in other capacities. Uh, but the gardens are about, it's about a thousand, a little over a thousand acres. Uh, and um, they're currently working, if, when you, if you go up there to visit there, they're working on this huge project, which is a $250 million project to expand the gardens and create new buildings uh, and new educational opportunities. And it's going to be highlighted by this beautiful 32,000 foot structure, which is made of crystal glass. So I'm excited about that. I think that'll be cool to visit. And Longwood Gardens certainly is one of those places that has a lot of responsibility for those that steward it, those that take care of it. And they do so because they believe that it's valuable to preserve. And in a similar way, God has entrusted us, as people who have believed the gospel of Jesus, to steward the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is the most valuable message in all of the world. Because it is the message which tells us how we can be made right with God, who is the all-powerful, loving creator of the universe. And it tells us how we can have a right relationship with him. 
how we can be, we can have that connection with God. And so our question today is, how can we steward the truth of the gospel? We're going to see three ways in which we can steward the truth of the gospel from 1 Corinthians 15. And the first way is that we can steward the truth of the gospel by believing it wholeheartedly. Now, I mentioned we're using this term, we're talking about the gospel. I think it's important that we define our terms. So what is the gospel? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul actually defines it for us in our passage. So we're going to look a little bit ahead in verses 3 through 4, and we read it in our call to worship. Paul writes, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And the gospel is the message. It begins with the fact that every person is a sinner. Every one of us has done things that are against God, whether that's in thought or action or in deed. And God is completely holy. And he can't tolerate sin. And so as a result, sin has separated us from a relationship with God. It has separated us from knowing that we will go to heaven one day. And there was nothing we could do in and of ourselves to make that relationship right. We needed someone to intervene for us. And that someone was our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says here. He says that that Jesus died for our sins. And he was buried. And he rose again. In dying on the cross, he took the punishment for our sins. The punishment that we should have rightly borne. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he completed God's work of redemption. He has done all that is required for salvation. And all God asks is that we respond, that we recognize that we are sinners, that we turn from our sin, that's that word repent, and place our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And that's the way that we can be forgiven of our sins. This is the only way that we can be made right with God and have a guarantee of a home in heaven in the presence of God. And for some of you, perhaps this sermon could end right now. If you've never had that moment where you recognize that you are a sinner and that you need to ask Jesus to be your Savior, you can get that settled today. You can call out to Jesus and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to save you, confessing that you believe in His death, His burial, and His resurrection is the only way that you can be saved. The scripture says in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you still have questions, that's totally fine. We're going to walk through 1 Corinthians, because the Corinthians had lots of questions as well. And so throughout our study, just a little background on where we are in 1 Corinthians 15. uh, Paul's been addressing a variety of questions throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 15, he's addressing the questions about the resurrection. The Corinthians had confusion, uh, probably coming from their surroundings with Greek philosophy and some of the things that that they believed. 
they had a variety of beliefs about the afterlife and about the resurrection. Uh, one commentator named Craig Keener, he explains that the Corinthians may have ascribed to some perspectives about the separation of the soul and the body and the, the soul goes on to live for eternity. But, and then some of the Greeks, they expressed other different opinions about the, resurre- uh, the, after, about the afterlife. Some of them didn't believe in it at all. While others believed in it without this physical component of a bodily resurrection, which Paul contends for in our passage. Paul gives us an inclination of the nature of their doubts uh, when he writes a little bit further down in our chapter in verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul here seems to be indicating that the Corinthians were also struggling with questions like, did this, did this really happen? Was Christ raised from the dead? Is there such a thing as the resurrection? And so the Apostle Paul here aims to clarify their confusion regarding the resurrection. So now we come to our passage where Paul comes to, the, to 1 Corinthians 15 and he explains, he comes back to the center of the gospel. Look at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now as we talked about, the main thrust of this chapter is the reality of the resurrection and the hope that followers of Jesus have because of it. And his discussion of the resurrection has implications regarding the resurrection of Jesus and also the second coming of Jesus. And then before Paul seeks to resolve these questions for the Corinthians, he reminds them of the common ground of the gospel, the gospel that they have all believed. This was their source of unity in the midst of their confusion. And notice the way that Paul describes the gospel. He says that this is the gospel that I preached to you, that you have received. This is the message that Paul gave his life for. He devoted his life to preaching the gospel. And the Corinthians received that, but they didn't just hear it. They received the gospel by faith. Paul says that they stand in the gospel, that they have taken their stand upon it, and that they are being saved by the gospel. This is true for us who have put our trust in Christ as well, that we stand in the gospel. We are saved by the gospel. And it says that they can hold fast, that they can continue trusting in Christ. And this is not a trust that maintains or preserves their salvation. This is a trust that shows that they indeed were followers of Christ. And given the questions that the Corinthians had regarding the resurrection, this was putting the the very heart of the gospel at stake. Our commentator Gordon Fee notes that that Paul's comment there at the end of verse 2 has a tone of irony, where he's suggesting that the Corinthians' doubts regarding the resurrection actually undermine the truthfulness of the gospel. Because if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, the gospel which we believe is not true. Because we have rested our hope in Christ and in the reality of his resurrection. I love the way Paul, he's so frank as he continues on a little bit further in the chapter, he talks about just the importance of the resurrection. Because if the resurrection, 
If there was no resurrection, then our faith is in vain and we have no hope. He says this in verse 13. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Uh, Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Some stark words. But I love how honest and direct the Apostle Paul is regarding the resurrection. Because he's saying that if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then all was lost. There was, there is no hope for us. There is no hope beyond this life. He says if we were just believing in this for this life and then we didn't have hope beyond the grave, we are people to be pitied greatly. And I think the Apostle Paul's frankness about this, it really encourages my faith. Because Paul shows us that he talks about how the, the, the resurrection is just so essential to our hope. And I'm so thankful that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead and that we can trust in him. And so the message of the gospel is a call to believe. It must be believed wholeheartedly. It is a call to place our faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins because we have rested all our hope in the truth of the gospel and in the reality of the resurrection. It's kind of like doing rock climbing in certain respects. Anybody ever like doing rock climbing? Anybody... Anybody want to do what these guys are doing? <laughs> I, I don't know. I have a healthy fear of heights. So this is not something you probably find me doing too readily, hanging from a rope. The one guy on the right there, he's just kind of hanging. I don't know. <laughs> Very intimidating prospect to me. The reason I show these, though, is that to do this kind of rock climbing, you need to have great faith in the rope that's tied around you. You need to have faith that the person at the other end of the rope will pull you back up if something goes wrong. Which for me, something would definitely go wrong. (laughs) But you need to have confidence in that person that they're going to get you back to safety. And that requires faith to be all in. Because when you're hanging like that, you got to be relying on somebody. And that's true for us as followers of Christ. Because we have put all our hope in Christ. All our hope in the resurrection. So that one day when we, when we pass from this world, we are confident that Jesus is going to catch us. That he's going to bring us to safety. He's going to bring us to be in heaven with him. We are trusting Jesus, and the reality of his resurrection from the dead. This is the faith that we are called to have as followers of Christ. This is what it is to put our trust in Christ. And so my question today is, have you believed the gospel of Jesus? Have you repented of your sins and called out to Jesus in faith to forgive you? The gospel is the only means by which we can be saved. 
And the resurrection of Jesus is our hope beyond the grave. And we can fully trust in the hope and the reality of the resurrection of Christ. And this salvation, this forgiveness is, just, is yours for the asking if you will put your trust in him. But for those of us who have believed the gospel, I think this has an application for us as well. The resurrection of Jesus encourages me to continue trusting Jesus as I live my life for him. The resurrection of Jesus reminds me of his great power, of his great love, that even sin, death, hell, the grave, nothing could hold him back. It reminds me that Jesus is able. And so the, no matter the difficulties that I face in life, I know that I have hope. I know that he is there to help me. And I know that even, though, even as I walk through difficult times in my life, as we all do, I know that there is great hope beyond this life. Paul says in Romans 8, he says that, I consider the, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so we've seen how we can steward the truth of the gospel by believing it wholeheartedly. Now I want us to see how we can steward the truth of the gospel by proclaiming it boldly. Look in verse 3. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. So in this section, Paul explains the essential components of the gospel, which we've talked some about. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But I want to call your attention to that verse, to verse 3, that word. He says, I delivered to you what I also had received. Paul delivered this message of the gospel to the Corinthians. This was a message that he had received from others. And I think this, this speaks to how the gospel spreads. It spreads from person to person. Every person in this room has heard the gospel from someone. Someone has taken the time to share the good news of Jesus with you. And then Paul, Paul defines the gospel for us, which we talked about uh, in those verses. Most scholars believe that this is a, a, an early church creed that Paul is quoting that probably dates to within a few years of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. And that reminds me of just how well the gospel message has been preserved. From its earliest days, and it reminds us that, that God is faithful to his word, that he has preserved it for us. And it also encourages me when we, we see the, these essential components of the gospel. We see how Christ died for our sins. He paid the debt that we could not repay. He was our sin substitute in his death on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, who was completely sinless, he bore the wrath of God towards sin. I love how Paul, he expounds upon this a little bit more in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, when he writes... For our sake, he made him, the him there is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That verse is so profound. Because we talk often of, of Jesus taking our sins, but in, in, in a greater way too, he not only took our sins on the cross, he gives us his righteousness. Theologians like to call this, for the, the, the fancy word that sounds like a, I'm a very smart seminary student, this is the idea of double imputation, where we have been imputed, our sin was imputed to Jesus, and our right, his righteousness was imputed to us. And that means that when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, which has been placed on us. This is the wondrous work that God has done in salvation. And so after Paul mentions the death of Jesus in 1 Corinthians, he mentions his burial for the purpose of showing that he did indeed die. And he further mentions the last component, which we've talked about, the resurrection of Jesus. But I want you to notice also a key verse there in, uh, in verses 3 and 4. It's in the phrase uh, that Paul says, it's in accordance, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul here is, is referencing the Old Testament Scriptures in foretelling the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. See, the Old Testament prophets and writers, they knew that a Messiah was coming. And they foretold this hundreds of years before it happened. Paul seems to have in mind the language here that Jesus died for our sins. The language of Isaiah, the prophet who spoke hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. And he foretold the crucifixion of Jesus. Look at what he says, Isaiah 53, verse, four, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I just think this is so remarkable. This is the incredibly remarkable thing about the Word of God. How it all ties together on this central message of God's plan of redemption that was coming through Jesus. And you think about how many different human authors were involved in the, the writing, the compilation of the scriptures, and yet here's this same uniform, unified message that runs throughout all of scripture. And that's God's plan of salvation. And the prophets, they may not have understood it all fully, but they knew that a Messiah was coming, and they declared it boldly. All throughout history, God has called out people to declare the gospel, to proclaim it. Paul continues in, verse, in, in verses 6 through 8, talking about what happened after Jesus rose from the dead in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about, Jesus appearing to more than 500 brothers at one time. He says most of those people are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep as they've died. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, so when untimely born, he appeared also to me. See, the apostles were witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. 
They saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And they went out and they boldly declared what they had seen. They wanted everyone to know the good news of Jesus and how he offers salvation to everyone who repents of their sins and calls out to him. And just as the apostles modeled this proclamation of the gospel, we as followers of Christ, we have this great privilege also of declaring the gospel to those around us. Because the gospel, as we said before, spreads from person to person. This is God's design for the spread of the gospel. It can start from one person. You see, there's a, I've, got a, I've got a chart that kind of shows um, how, some ideas on how this multiplies. It can start with one person, who then goes to another person, and then to another person, who goes to more people. And this is how the gospel has primarily advanced throughout history. Sure, we have different technologies, we may have different means and methods, but there are always people behind those tools. And this is how the gospel advances. This is how we steward the truth of the gospel by proclaiming it to those who need Christ. I think we see this beautifully illustrated in Acts chapter 10. And the book of Acts describes the advance of the gospel following the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven. In chapter 10 of Acts, we meet a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And Cornelius was a God-fearing man who cared about the Jewish people. He prayed to the God of Israel. However, he had not heard the whole truth of the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ. He had not heard this yet. And so God directed the apostle Peter to go to share the gospel with Cornelius. He accompanies some men who come to get him, and he goes and shares Christ with them. And Peter, he goes to the home of Cornelius, and this is what Cornelius says to him in verse 30 of Acts 10. He says, Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. Who is lo he's, he's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Here's the verse 33. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So here's Cornelius. He didn't have the full truth of the gospel. But he gathered those around him to come and hear what Peter had to say. The truth of the gospel that he did have, he stewarded very wisely. He brought people alongside. And then Peter, he shares the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ with them. And here's the result in verse 44. We read, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. We see how God moves when his people are obedient and steward the truth of the gospel by proclaiming it. God moves by bringing about salvation. It's just our job to be faithful. It's our job to be obedient to what God has called us to do. And so the gospel really is it's a glorious message that we've been entrusted with. 
Maybe you feel like Cornelius and you don't know much about sharing the gospel. But there are still things that you can do to reach others with the gospel. You can invite others to come to church. You can encourage them. You can show love to them. You can seek to learn more about how to share your faith. Each one of us who have been saved has this special privilege of declaring the gospel, proclaiming it boldly, and sharing what Jesus has done in our lives with a world that needs him so much. And we can do so boldly because we know that the gospel is true. And it's true, as we've seen, in the reality of Jesus' resurrection. So we've seen how we can steward the truth of the gospel by believing it wholeheartedly and proclaiming it boldly. Now I want us to see that we can steward the truth of the gospel by serving the Lord faithfully. Look in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Paul knew that it was only by God's grace that he was saved and called to be an apostle. He knew the depths of his sin because he persecuted the church of God. Paul was the early church's greatest enemy. He he had orders to arrest people who followed after the way of the gospel. But God's grace changed all that. God's grace was not in vain in his life. Paul seems to be indicating that he understood the depths of his sin and that this, this motivated him to greater service. He even seems to, to say that he served, he worked harder than the other apostles. I think this is this practical component where we steward the truth of the gospel by how we live our lives. I love the way the apostle John described it this way in 2 John. He writes, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. In any act of service and obedience to the Lord, we're living out this walking in the truth. We're living out this principle of stewarding the truth because God in his wondrous grace has given us this great privilege of serving him because of the gospel and what the gospel has done in our lives. Paul labored for the Lord because of the gospel. He continues throughout the rest of this chapter, which is one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. And we won't dig into all of it today, obviously, but he goes throughout and he goes through this logic and rhetoric regarding the reality of the resurrection and the, the hope that we have because of the resurrection and how that has changed how we think about the world. But I really love how he concludes the chapter. It sort of has this beginning and ending tie-in. He writes this in verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
The hope of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus is our motivation for serving the Lord. And it's also our guarantee that our labor is not in vain. That God is bringing fruit from the things that we are doing. I just find this to be an incredible reminder. Sometimes things may seem hopeless or directionless. But, if we, but we know that if we are serving the Lord, and we're doing what he's called us to do, we're being who he's called us to be, we can rest assured our labor is not in vain. Because it's God that does the work. It's God that brings about salvation. I think it's kind of similar to like, sometimes we, we, can't, we don't always see the whole picture. And I think it's kind of like this building being under construction here. I think that's a building. I'm not entirely sure. Anybody want to take a guess at what's, what's going on here? See, to me, that looks kind of like, I don't know, it looks kind of directionless. It looks kind of pointless. I can't tell what they're building. And sometimes that happens when we're, we're seeing construction. If you're on, the, you're on 695 and you're, you're wondering how long it's going to take until this is finished, it seems like it's not going anywhere, right? Because we don't see the results. But when it's complete, then it makes sense. And I think, I think in a similar way, that's true of our service to the Lord. Sometimes we're serving and we're looking and we can get discouraged because we don't see the things that we expected to see. We don't see the results yet. We're still, we're still waiting on that. And maybe we won't see them all in this life. But I think when we get to heaven, we, we'll, we'll see the results of our labors. We'll see the fruit and the value of what we have done. And we will see things in this life as well. But what encourages me is I see this verse that Paul says that our labor is not in vain. Even if it doesn't all make sense to us at the present time, we know that we can labor in the gospel. We can be obedient to Christ because he is going to bring about the fruit. I love what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 2. He reminds us of the gospel. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And he says, For we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul reminds us of the gospel. That we're saved by God's grace through faith. We're not saved by our good works. It's not a result of doing good works that we can have a relationship with God. It's all the work of Christ. It's the gift of God through faith. But as a result of that salvation, which comes through the gospel, he has called us to do good works. He has called us to walk in good works. We're called to serve the Lord faithfully. To walk in the truth of the gospel. And I think this, just, this, this is how we steward God's, God's truth. We steward God's truth by walking in the truth of the gospel. By serving the Lord. 
And in all that we do, I think that's in obedience to the Lord, whether that's through our prayers, through our giving, through our attempts to reach people with the gospel, through our, our love that we show to one another and to the world, the ministries in our church, how we use our spiritual gifts. It encourages me to know that this is what God has called us to do and that it's not in vain, that our labor will not be in vain, that he will use it for his glory and the expansion of his kingdom. And I think this is, just, this, is how we just, this is how we can steward the truth of the gospel, by how we live, how we conduct ourselves. So today we've seen some, some great principles, I think, on how we can steward God's truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And we've been entrusted with this wonderful message of salvation through faith in Christ. And we've seen how we can steward the truth of the gospel by believing it, by proclaiming the gospel, and by how we serve the Lord. God is faithful. We can put our trust in Him. And today, if you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, if you've never called out to Him, today we've been talking all about this wonderful message of Christ. Let me just say, today would just be the, the greatest day that you could get that settled. God offers us a home in heaven if we trust in him and call out to him. This is this good news of Jesus, which continues to transform lives, has been doing so for thousands of years, and it still transforms lives today. We're going to, let's, let's close for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you just we thank you just for your word. How it reminds us that how we steward our lives, how we steward the truth of the gospel is important. We thank you, Lord, for just the hope of the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that you use broken people to do your work. And Lord, I just pray for everyone who's here, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would open up our hearts. And today, we want to extend an, an, an offering for those who want to come forward. I'll be up front. Mike will be up front. If today is your day where you want to place your trust in Jesus, or if you want to come forward and just pray about some things, we will be here at the front. Lord, we just, we thank you for all that you have done in our lives, for how faithful you are to us. So Lord, we trust you. We thank you for your goodness. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.